If I told you lately I love my job. (laughs) All right. Well, if you'd take out your Bibles, please open them up with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. Matthew 15. If you don't have a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. We continue to study the life of our Lord Jesus as it's recorded for us by one of his close followers. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. Matthew was one who was an eyewitness to the things that we're talking about and the, and the lessons that we are learning. And we can't ever lose sight of the fact that this was not recorded for us as a history lesson. This is a manual, if you would, for us. As we see and we continue to watch as Jesus teaches his disciples and they learn through the, the things that they are seeing and the things that they are experiencing, it's almost, if you would, uh, discipleship university, right? They're, that they continue to go through these things. But we can't forget that, again, this is recorded for us too, as disciples and followers of Jesus today, we too need to learn and almost look at it through their eyes as they are hearing and seeing these things. We saw as we, as we studied through the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus spoke these truths to them and things that were blowing their minds at the times, and we'll see even more today, where Jesus is just turning upside down the religious view of the day. And in in that challenging them, not only how they are to live, but what they are then to take out as the message to the world. And we are challenged as his disciples in the same way. The kingdom parables as we've gone through those. What the kingdom of God is like. And the miracles that we've seen that Jesus has performed. And those things that we take out of that. And as we grow, and we saw again last week, the storms that we face and we see that, that, that that's not a one-time class, and it's not an elective. They're required courses in Discipleship U, Storm 101, Storm 102, not only for them, but for me and you. We continually go through those, and we need to. We need to, we need to experience these things again and again, because not only are they required courses, but they're, it's, they're required that we learn and we grow in them, because every time a storm comes, we, we're, we're just like the disciples, aren't we? We think we learn. We think we got this one nailed. We think we're ready to graduate. And all of a sudden, the next storm comes and we're like, oh, Lord, did you forget about me? Same thing, same reaction that they have. And we talked that, you know, the disciples, as they continue to to work through this and they step out in great faith, there's things that we need to understand as we now step out in faith. We're going to meet resistance. These things shouldn't catch us by surprise. We talked last week about how, you know, even Jesus' own family and, and the people that he grew up with questioned him and came against him. We saw it played out if you were here on Wednesday night as we're going through the book of 1 Samuel in the life of David. When he's going to go fight Goliath, stepping out in great faith, he met that same resistance. Family, his brothers said, what are you doing here, you little pipsqueak, you know, and coming against him. And then Saul saying, who are you? You can't go fight him. You're but a youth, and he's a giant. And all of these things, being ready to understanding that these things are going to come against us. Again, as disciples, we learn these things as we go. And today, as we begin into chapter 15, we learn another very important thing that we need to always be on guard against. Jesus tells us in chapter 15, it says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. This group of religious leaders travels all the way from Jerusalem up to the Galilee area where Jesus is. Word is spreading. 
and, and people are talking about this Jesus who is performing these amazing things and his teachings and, and all of this, and, and they begin to panic a little bit. They send a contingent out to find out what's going on. And they say to him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus has warned his disciples before. He's warning them here in what he is teaching, and he will continue to, as we move through this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the deception, the sin of the Pharisees. And what is that? Adding to the word of God. Adding tradition to the Word of God. Adding rules and regulations on top of the Word of God. Though they, on, on the surface, many of them have the appearance of being spiritual, have the appearance of being righteous, have the appearance of wisdom. Paul warns against this as well in Colossians chapter 2. These, speaking of the same type of thing, legalistic requirements, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. These things that, that can be built up, man-made things, man-made rules and regulations, look good on the surface, even might carry with it a promise of, of greater things, but they are empty and cannot deliver. The enemy, again, remember always, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, following and stepping out in faith, he is against us. He does not want us to be doing these things. So if he can't get us to trip up an outright immorality, he is going to come at us from a different angle. Understanding again that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but is the spiritual forces, the spiritual forces of evil. And his desire is to do whatever he can to get our eyes off of Jesus in the simplicity of the gospel and onto other things. He continues to attack. He disguises himself, the disguise here of even be looking holy and righteous. And again, Paul warns of the same thing in his letter to, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's a, he's a deceiver, and he disguises himself in, in looking holy and righteous. Therefore, Paul says, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. The Pharisees come, putting on a great show with their external things that they do and the way that they speak. They're putting, they're putting on the show, but Jesus sees right through it. Jesus isn't fooled or caught up in it. And guys, we need to understand that the, the Pharisee in every one of us, the, the hypocrite that is in every one of us, Jesus sees right through that too. We're not fooling him. 
We need to understand that when we read this thing, it speaks of the Pharisees, and it's so easy for us to look at the Pharisee as a person. The Pharisee isn't describing the person. The Pharisee is describing the heart, the hypocritical heart. They, they confront Jesus and they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? <laughs> they don't wash their hands before they eat. It's amazing how people can, in their, in their pharisaical heart, hypocritical heart, can come against great work and pick it apart. Jesus just fed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and they're saying, you didn't wash your hands first. And so often, that's the, that's the case, and, and we have to, again, guard our own hearts from that very same thing. We see God working in the lives of other people, and we're saying, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Those guitars are so loud. I, I, that, that's not worship. Any number of different ways that can go. And it's our hearts that are the issue. Putting, putting tradition and the tradition of the, the church and man-made rules and our ideas even loftier than the word of God. And that's what Jesus is calling out here. He's saying these things that you have done, while they may have started out in the right spirit, have totally come off the rails. No doubt those, the, the, the initial ones, the scribes and the Pharisees back in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when this whole thing started to snowball, probably set out and said, well, we just want to protect the people. We want to make sure that they don't go against God. Here's what God's word says, so let's build a couple of things around here to help people understand it. But that so quickly turns into self-centeredness and self-righteousness, and that's what's taken place by the time of Jesus here. And Jesus totally flips the table on them. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, wait a second, you just didn't see them wash their hands or whatever. He totally dismisses that. that is, that's, that's of no value at all. He goes right now to the heart of the issue. You transgress the law, the word of God in what you're saying. The, the, the point that they're, that they're making here, again, even on the surface, may sound good and initially may have had the right thought behind it, but Jesus calls it out. In Mark chapter 7, it uses the word Corban. C-O-R-B-A-N. That means literally devoting all that you have to God. Sounds great on the surface, but understand that that was a way that they used to circumvent the law that required people to take care of their family when there was a need. They would use that and say, well, I can't take care of you because I've dedicated everything that I have to God, and if I took it from that and gave it to you, I'd be, breaking, I'd, I'd be offending God. The problem behind that whole thing is it was self-centered, self-righteous behavior. I've dedicated everything that I have to God. What that literally meant was when I die, whatever's left over goes to the temple. I live for myself now, but when I die, whatever's left then, that's what I give. That, that when I'm gone, everything else goes to the temple. And Jesus calls that out and he condemns it with the strongest language. Verse 7, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. That word hypocrite there, that, that Greek word that means a mask. A mask that is worn to, to put up something different to the outside so everybody else sees something different than what's behind the mask. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. 
Jesus, quoting Isaiah, defines hypocrisy. Honoring God with, with their lips, but their hearts being far from him. Saying what appears to be the right things, and oh, we, we love God and we live for him, but their hearts and their lives living something totally different. And again, this is imp- when we go through these things, and I know these exercises aren't any fun, but we need to examine ourselves. We need to come before the Lord with our own hearts. Because though we could easily say, I'm not doing that Corbin thing you were just talking about. But what about other ways that we honor God with our lips, but our heart being far from him? Where we gather together here this morning and we're singing the praises to the Lord. We might even have our eyes closed and our hands raised. But tomorrow when we go to work and that our boss acts a certain way and we go to the lunchroom and we join in complaining with everybody else. Or we're driving. Pastor's always got to go there, right? Driving and that somebody cuts you off. (laughs) Your neighbor does something this afternoon. Whatever it might be. And then our hearts then are, are, are lashing out. We wear the crosses and the Christian shirts and the bumper stickers. But our life, honestly, if we look at it away from other Christians, is far from God. We need to guard against that. Jesus calls that hypocrisy. Worshiping in vain, setting aside the, God, the word of God for the teaching of men. We, saw, we see Jesus gives an example of that, but that was, that was rampant in the legalistic structure of the, of the Jewish religion at the time. And it's rampant through the church today. Replacing, replacing the word of God for comfortable tradition. Or on the other end of the spectrum, with contemporary trends. And there's nothing wrong with tradition or, or trends, as long as they don't take away from the authority of the living word of God, even a little bit. It's a huge problem today. And it can be so subtle, so seductive. That's why the health and wealth teaching That's why the emergent church has become so big is because it is so seductive. It it takes away from the truth of God's word and it starts making it all about you. God wants you healthy and rich. He wants you to never have to to worry about a thing. If, If you're not rich enough, it's because you don't have enough faith and Uh, on and on and on, many roads to God and everybody, it's all about feeling good and you just connect to God however you want to connect to God and all of these types of things. It's heretical. It's self-centered. Let me let you in on something. Shared this before, but it always bears repeating. God does not exist for your pleasure. We exist for his. We were created to bring him pleasure, not the other way around. God's word, and we're feeling it right now, it commands difficult things. Not burdensome things, but difficult. And our job is obedience, submission, not finding a way around it. God convicts us in a certain area. Our job is to say, yes, Lord, by the strength of, of your spirit in me, I will follow. Not, i got to find a way out of this. 
And so many times that's the case. It's not, it's not all about me. <laughs> so many times we can, again, we have to guard ourselves against this. We can come and say, all right, I'm going to church to see what I can get out of it. That's not why we come. Shouldn't be. To have my felt needs taken care of. Jesus said it this way. And if Jesus said it, it's the truth, okay? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And all of those other things will be taken care of. We flip it around all the time. Man, God, give me all of this and then I'll follow you. That's not the way it works. Self-centeredness, self-righteousness. These are the things that come out of this. That somehow I can impress God by all of the things that I do. Again, these Pharisees are a perfect example of that. That they feel that God is somehow impressed by the way that they live. Guys, God's not impressed. what, what What impresses God is the exact opposite. Jesus tells a story in Luke where two men go to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee. One is a tax collector. They're standing really close by each other, and the Pharisee, I'll paraphrase, prays something along this line, God, thank you that I'm not a scumbag like that guy. And I, you, got, you have to be so proud of me, because I tithe, I fast, I read the word. Man, you are lucky I'm on your team. God's not impressed. The tax collector prays, he says he can't even lift his eyes towards heaven. He's just broken, and he says, have mercy on me, the sinner. Definitive article, not a sinner, the sinner. That heart before God. That's what God wants to see. That's the heart that God blesses. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, Luke 18, 14, I tell you, this man, the one that was humble, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus continues, verse 10, back in our text. Jesus calls the crowd now to him. He says to them, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat without, with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus says, hear and understand Don't miss the point of this entire exchange. Because again, that's easy to do. We have to stay focused. What is Jesus really saying here? What is the point behind it all? If we do that, if if we miss the point, it's a totally invaluable exercise. 
Matthew 23, Jesus speaking again to a group of scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> blind guides. Again, blind leading the blind. Jesus describing that they, they are not understanding. They are missing the point completely. They're the ones that are putting these legalistic restrictions on that they tithe this certain in everything. And again, that... that legalistic heart that comes alongside then and, and criticizes others who don't do the same thing they do, who don't follow the same rules that they do, being very critical. And Jesus said, you're missing the whole thing, the weightier provision. God didn't create the law so that you would tithe 10%. The, 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 the law wasn't created because God needs money. Let me in. God doesn't need your money. God allows us to give into his work. He allows us to express gratitude to him through our giving. And he allows us to play a part in his eternal plan through that process. But he doesn't need it. That's not, that's not the weighty provision of the law. He says the weighty provision is justice and mercy. You ever noticed those that are extremely legalistic, are, <laughs> that what they lack is mercy. Zero mercy. Jesus said, that's the way to your thing. We can, we can categorize our obedience. We can categorize sin, and Jesus warns against that. We need to be obedient in every area. Jesus, understand what's happening here. He is radically changing their view. We as Christians who study the word of God, this is not new to us. It's review, and we need it regularly but this was brand new to them. Jesus is flipping this entire religious thing upside down, putting it right on its head. And you can tell that they're still kind of shocked, even though this isn't their first run through, they're still kind of shocked in their response. Jesus, you know, they were offended by that. What you said there, it kind of hacked them off a little bit. <laughs> and you notice Jesus' reaction, let them alone. He wasn't too concerned with that. He said what needed to be said, but then he said, let him alone. Jesus teaching in that that we need discernment. We need discernment in our actions and interactions with others. There's going to be times when people will be offended by what we say as Christians. And we need to know when it's time to say, okay, I need to turn away from that. I need to let that alone because I can get in a fight and I could probably win this fight, but is it worth it? I've heard it said that a bulldog can beat a skunk any day of the week, but is it worth it? <laughs> and we have to have that similar discernment to know, okay, Lord, let him alone, he says. And then he goes on to teach again the principle that can't be missed in all of this. They're going to they're gonna go back and forth and back and forth. Jesus says, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's get to the, the heart of this issue. And you got to love Peter, don't you? Praise God for Peter for asking the questions that we all want asked. <laughs> what, what do you mean, Lord? Can you explain it to us? And then he goes through the biological thing first. You know, whatever goes in your mouth eventually comes out. 
problem isn't that. It's not a hygiene lesson. It's not a biology lesson. It's a heart issue. He says that in verse 18, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. The words that we say, the things that proceed out in our life as we walk them out, reflect the heart. Speaking and focusing on the internal. Jesus says same thing, Luke 6, 45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Jesus gives a list of things that can come out due due to having an, an evil heart. A heart that is hard. A heart that is contrary to the things of God. Adulteries. Murders. Thefts. He covered that back in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't just think because you haven't physically killed somebody, you're okay. The heart of the matter is that if your heart is against someone, harboring hatred in your heart, you've already committed that sin. But he goes on to even speak of, of foul language and cursing and slanders, gossip, those things that come out of our mouth, that should never come out of our mouth. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that as Christians filled with the Spirit, what should come out of our mouth are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, lifting one another up, encouraging one another, not gossiping and slandering and cutting each other down. James tells us in James chapter 3 that out of the same mouth or from the same heart come blessing and cursing. That shouldn't be like that. That shouldn't be with us. That should not define us. It's a heart issue. We need a heart transplant. We need a new heart. We need our heart to be changed. We can't, as the Pharisees, try to work on the externals. It's an internal thing. We need to, first of all, confess that our hearts are wicked, that our hearts need to be worked on, as David did when he was confronted with his sin in Psalm 51. He says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. It's not a matter of me bringing more to you, God. It's not a matter of me tithing more, serving more, reading my Bible more, even praying more. That's not it. He says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. We come broken. We come before him with a broken heart, saying, God, it's broke. I can't fix it. You fix it. In Ezekiel 36, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone From your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. As we sang earlier, we glory in the fact that our sins have been forgiven. They've been washed away, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We need a new heart. Again, Psalm 51, David says, Create in me a new heart. Do that work in my heart, Lord, and then fill me with your spirit. It's the only way it works. We can't do it on the external. It's got to happen inside first. And then the external happens. The external then follows. Jesus teaching again a very important discipleship lesson. One that we all again need to continually revisit. Well, we continue now in verse 21. 
Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. I don't know about you, the first time I read that, I was puzzled. The second and third and fourth and fifth, many times I read through that and I was like, man, I don't, what is going on? Any, does that raise questions with anybody else reading through that story? I've, I've even heard it taught that this is where Jesus started to understand what his whole ministry was about. Yikes. I can guarantee you that ain't it. <laughs> I think it's important that this is a great lesson for us in any time we're studying the Bible because if we just look at these few verses just by themselves, we can have a whole bunch of questions that can lead to a whole bunch of false teaching. Just like this, I have an example here. If we look at this and we study it, we can edit that out later. Okay, let's try that again. Okay, we look at this, and we can all look at that, and we can all start figuring out, okay, and we study it for a little bit, and we can all come up with different things, and we can all make guesses as to what that is. But if we step back, and we take a look at it from a different angle, okay, how many of you were thinking that at the beginning? <laughs> no, nobody. Nobody, unless you were here first service. <laughs> and the, the, the problem is sometimes we can look at a section of Scripture and we can get all confused. But if we take a step back and we look at the whole picture, it comes into great, much more clarity. We need to do that with this section here. We need to look at it with con in context. What just took place? What have we just been spending the last 20 minutes looking at? Jesus saying... It's not, it's not the outside appearance that makes a man worthy or not. What makes someone clean? What makes someone in right standing with God? The Jews believed that it, they were in right standing with God because they were Jewish. And if you were to be in right standing with God, you had to be Jewish because they believed that Gentiles existed for one purpose, and that was to keep hell hot. That, that you're either you are Jewish or you are out. They believed in, in their, 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 their traditions. They believed in their nationality, and that's, that's all they focused on. And Jesus, as we just saw, the traditions, he's turning this completely on its head, not looking at the external. Jesus, look at what he's doing here. He is taking his disciples into the heart of Gentile territory. Those, there's no Pharisees that followed them, because a Pharisee would never go there for fear they might bump into a Gentile. And then they'd be unclean. 
Jesus takes them right into the heart of Gentile territory. And not just a Gentile we see here. Matthew is clear to point out a Canaanite woman. Not just a Gentile, but a Canaanite, an ancient enemy of the Jews. So we see that at the beginning of this. But now I want you to look at one other thing that's crucial to me. Verse 29, look at that. Departing from there. So these verses right here take place. Jesus goes there, and then right away after that, departing from there. This is the only thing Jesus did there. You think it was an accident? I don't think so. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. It means not of the Jewish people. There's other sheep. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman. Jesus is not discovering his ministry. Jesus is, is in complete control. Kind of paints a little different picture on it now, huh? She cries out, have mercy on me, son of David. We know God loves to answer that prayer, have mercy on me. She uses a Jewish term for the Messiah when she says, son of David, but it says that Jesus, when she cried that out, remained silent. Now some have said that that is because she, as a Gentile, did not have the authority or the right to use that term, son of David. I'm not in that camp. I believe he remained silent. Because he often remains silent. And he's watching. He's watching the, re- the reaction of the disciples. He's watching the reaction of this woman. We look at the reaction of the disciples and we can say, Amen, we all need continued training. They, 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 didn't, they didn't shine as pupils to this day. When they say, send her away, Lord, the text indicates that they were saying, Jesus, would you just give her what she wants so she goes away? Heart issue. By the way, if, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you're not a, you're not a Christian, and part of the reason why you're not a Christian is because of Christians, don't turn away from Jesus because of the way his disciples act at times. Because we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. We need grace. We need your forgiveness. Forgive us for that. We're all still in process. None of us have graduated yet. Give us another chance. Give Jesus a chance. Don't turn away because of us. But if Jesus really was wondering or wrestling with all of this, really, really was holding to this thing, I'm only here for the Jews. Here's his opportunity to get out. Notice he doesn't take it. He's watching for their reaction, but he's also watching for hers. And notice how she draws now closer to him. She approaches him even more. Because he remained silent at first, she doesn't, she doesn't run away. She comes closer, and notice she says, Lord, help me. It goes from the, the son of David, the Messiah of the Jews, to now, Lord, help me. She is coming in right now, coming close in with Jesus. 
And then his response at first, again, we look at it on, its, on the surface there, that you know it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. Sounds very cold. But again, Jesus is doing a work here. And the word that is used there for dogs, that Jesus uses for dogs, is an interesting one because the Jews would refer to Gentiles, all Gentiles, as dogs. And the dog that they, the word that they used was a pack dog, a vicious dog. That was that, you know, they run in packs, the ones to avoid. Jesus uses a diminutive term of that word that means little dog, family pet. And in this illustration then that he says, why would we take the, the bread that is for the children and give it to the dogs? Again, I think it's because he wants to see her reaction, and her reaction is beautiful. Her reaction should be ours. Because she comes and she says, Lord, I don't deserve to sit at the table. I don't deserve to be there. But all, I, all I'm asking is just for a scrap. Just a, just a morsel from my master's hand. I'll sit here. I'll, I'll sit on the floor. I'm good right here. You just give, me, just give me a scrap. And Jesus says, your faith is great. We need to learn from that. Because so often again, that Pharisee in us all says, man, I've earned a spot at the table. We haven't earned a spot at the table. We've been given one. But it's only when we come with a heart that says, God, I don't deserve to be here. It's only by grace that you let me even approach the table. Your faith is great. Jesus taught a lesson several chapters ago. And if you turn back there with me, Matthew chapter 7. He taught a lesson as to how we are to come. And with that, we see it so beautifully played out with this woman here, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus said we are to ask, seek, knock, and the way that those words are written, that it's a continual asking, continually seeking, continually knocking. And again, God's response to that is a continual action. Keep asking, he will keep giving. Keep seeking, he will keep revealing. Keep knocking, and he will continue to open. She got it. She understood it. Ask. Why does God want us to ask continually? Why doesn't he just answer the first time? Because he's got something far greater in mind. We oftentimes will ask, and I, 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 I feel like I'd speak for all of us, that it's sometimes when we ask, it seems like he's silent. It seems like he's not answering. That's because he wants us to draw closer. As she did. Again, what a beautiful response to his silence. She comes in even tighter. Lord, help me. It's not a game he's playing. He just desires that intimate fellowship. Keep seeking. Keep seeking the will of God. She called him Lord. That means you're in charge. You're the king. 
I want what you want. Again, seeking first the kingdom of heaven. The Bible tells us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, not who diligently seek what they can get from him, but seek him. Knock. Keep knocking. If we're continuing to knock, that implies that the door is closed. But keep knocking. He desires to open it, but not until we are ready. And not until the plans are ready. But when he opens it, the Bible tells us that he opens doors that no man can shut. And we have a promise, and we see it again, lived out in the story right before us. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I believe it was Jesus' will from the time he left Galilee till he got up there to answer her prayer and to heal her daughter. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. We have them, it says. Some we realize right away, others we don't realize until later, but we have them. How many of us have walked away too soon? What if she would have gotten frustrated when Jesus didn't answer at first and left? But she didn't. She persevered in prayer. And what an example for us. A couple of quick things as we close and prepare our hearts for communion today. Again, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we? Do we diligently seek him or do we diligently seek what we can get from him? Our heart needs to be, God, I want what you want. Change my heart to match yours. And here again in this story, we see that Jesus is ready, willing, and able to cross any and all boundaries to reach those who need him. Are we? Are we willing to cross any boundary to reach those who need Jesus? Are we willing to cross that boundary to go talk to our neighbor who was up partying all night with his buddies and kept us awake and now we didn't get any sleep? Are we willing to cross that boundary to go help him do some yard work and in the process show him the love of Jesus and maybe invite him to church? Are we willing to cross that boundary? What about the couple that lives across the street or down the block a little ways that, that, that is not married, living together, and we can hear them arguing and fighting all the time, and they, they don't have any hope of restoring anything because they don't have Jesus in their life? Are we willing to cross that boundary and go and show them love, show them the love of Jesus, and invite them to come to church? Are we willing to cross that boundary? We can draw the line in the sand now. Are we willing to talk to that homosexual that we work with at work or that lives in our neighborhood and go show them the love of Jesus and invite them to church because they need Jesus too. In this time that we live in, because it's in our face everywhere, I understand, but we have to be careful that we don't harden our heart because that sin is no greater than any other sin. It is sin. It, will, it requires repentance. They need Jesus. They can't fix that problem without him. 
It's the same, but somehow we compartmentalize sin. Are we willing to step over that boundary? They need Jesus. They need to hear the truth. I will tell you, there are numerous, numerous examples of how people have come to this church, not married, living together, have come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and have gotten married. Here in this church, many occasions. Why can't somebody who's a homosexual come in this church, come under the same conviction of the same Holy Spirit and turn, and turn away from a life of sin and follow Jesus? Why not? Are we the problem? Are we the barrier? Are we willing to cross that boundary? And if you're here right now and your heart, your heart is saying, I don't want them in my church. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to invite them to come to this church and you go somewhere else. Because they need to hear the word of God. Now I say that, I'm praying for you, if that's you. That your heart would be softened. Because we were all in that boat. Our sin was no less grievous than theirs. Are we willing to cross any boundary? God's work is universal. God's work is worldwide. It's not his desire that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Are we willing to cross those boundaries? Because he crossed the greatest boundary. We have no idea the condescension that took place when he stepped off his throne in heaven and became one of us. He crossed the greatest boundary to come and live amongst us, to live a perfect, sinless life, and then willingly to die in our place on the cross. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you that now we're going to, we're going to stand. We've, you may have noticed we only sang a couple songs at the beginning. We're going to spend a little time right now in worship as we prepare for communion. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to understand the, what he did for you. He came, he lived, he died for you to pay the penalty for your sin. You can't pay that debt he did for you. And if that's you and you feel the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you, you want to get right with God today, I would ask that while we're singing that you just make your way up front. We'll have pastors and elders up front here. We'd love that opportunity to pray with you. For everybody else, I'd like to use this time as we, as we sing to, to let God examine our hearts. That make sure any, anything that might be there, that, that Pharisee, that hypocritical heart, anything, that God would just do that work in us. So let's sing, let's worship, and let's let God do a work in our hearts today. And again, if you need that, please come forward as we sing.